and happy New Year's Eve. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter on page 1845. We're going to be reading chapter 1, verses 3 through 13. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. Tim Keller says that um, knowing that you are called to ministry requires at least three things. A desire, your friends need to tell you you're any good at it, and an opportunity. Somebody has to invite you to do it. Oftentimes on this Sunday, the Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, we have um, people who are feel a calling. Um, some of their friends have said they might be good at it, and we want to give them an opportunity. Some of the people who you've, you've listened to um, on this Sunday are in ministry now, like um, Adam Darbone is pastoring in San Francisco, and we've got a number of people who are in seminary. One person who you heard last year, um, Becca Cooks, is actually, this is her last Sunday on our staff. She's over there, and she's going to be going on staff with Upper House, which is a really strategic and important ministry here in Madison, on campus, engaging the irreligious an academic community on campus, and she's going to be an integral part of what they're doing there. We're so excited for her, super bummed for us. Um, Nellie Sapek is going to be replacing her. Um, so the way you say her last name, if you're from Wisconsin, say, isn't that a peck of apples, right? Sapek. So that's for you. And so... <clears throat> So um, John Sekatowski is our communications um, director, coordinator, whatever the heck we call him. Coordinator. And um, <laughs> so he's going to be preaching this morning. Ironically, he's going to be starting the theme for this next new year, which is going to be joy. But he's going to be preaching about hope. 
Um, but last year when we talked about substance, all of all that God is calling us to be in the strength of substance, you can picture it like a big ship sitting on a reef that's supposed to sail. And the thing that lifts that boat is joy. And hope is the tide that brings in the water that lifts that ship of joy. We're going to be talking about joy all this next year. And right now, out of 1 Peter 1, John is going to preach about hope. And I want you to listen. Because it is the tide that pulls in the joy that moves the boat of spiritual substance, which is what Christ has called us to. So let's pray for John as he, as he prepares to speak to us. God, please give us hearts to listen. And we pray that we would recognize in John's youth that as close as he is to what the scripture says, so close he is to the word that you would speak to us because we believe the scripture is the word of God written. And so open our hearts to listen as we should and speak to us through him in a way that is helpful to us, your sheep. God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Morning, everybody. So like Nick said, my name is John Sikotowski, and I am the communications coordinator here at High Point. So if you've been coming, especially since the summer, you probably know me as the guy who gives the announcements on Sunday. So how did I go to the guy who's giving the sermon this Sunday? So it happened mid-October where I was walking past Pastor Nick's office, and he was in a meeting with somebody else, but his door was open. And he saw me walking past, and he said, hey, John, come in here. So I came in, and he gave me his his Pastor Nick serious face look that most of you have probably seen if you've seen him preach before. And he said, you're preaching December 31st. And then he went back to his meeting. So that's why I'm up here. (laughs) So today, we're going to be preaching on hope. I'm going to be talking about hope. And this is exciting for me because High Point has been the church that I've been plugged into um, since I first became a believer. So I became a believer in Jesus my sophomore year of college, so February of 2013. And by the fall, I was coming to High Point. So High Point has been the place that has played a really big role in forming me spiritually. And a lot of you have played a role in my life. So it's, it's very exciting for me to be able to be up here today. So today we're going to be talking about hope. And we're specifically, we're going to be talking about hope because it's something all of us want. Hope, we, I mean, when we look in the Bible, we see the Bible t- say all sorts of amazing things about hope. Like Nick said, it's, it's a foundation for joy. We see hope talked about as one of the, like, one of the big three things that are supposed to describe our lives as Christians, right? Faith, hope, and love. We see in the Bible that hope is referred to as a, uh, something that produces an assurance for our future. We all want hope. Hope is a good thing. We also believe that it's powerful. That's why in every single, uh, in every single movie where there's some frustratingly stereotypical bad guy, they're always like, we will crush their hope. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which is, that's how all frustratingly stereotypical bad guys talk. Um, but we believe it's powerful. That movie that came out last year, uh, Star Wars Rogue One, when Jin Erso, the strong female protagonist, she talks, she's hyping everybody up to go on this mission that they know they're all going to die in. And as she's leading into there, she's like, you know, guys, rebellions are built on hope. Like, we know that it's a powerful thing. And you're not a dope if you want more hope. You know what I'm saying? I literally, I sat in my office and was thinking, what's a word that could rhyme with hope? And that's what I, that's what I came up with. Uh, If we're Christians, we believe too that it's something we should have. There's places in the Bible where God commands us to have hope because of the things that are true about him and true about his activity in the world. And I think regardless of whether or not we think we should have it, all of us would like to have it. 
if hope really is a foundation for joy, I want more joy, so give me some hope. Uh, in, in the Bible, in Colossians, Paul actually talks about how hope is the foundation from which the other two of the big three, faith and love, he talks about how hope is the foundation that those things spring from in the first place. I think it is universally true that all of us would like to have more hope in our lives. But I think what's also true is that in the midst of difficult circumstances, hope starts to leak. In the midst of difficult circumstances, we start to lose hope and hope starts to drain out of us. So we're going to be, uh, the, the verse that Femi read, or the verses that Femi read, are verses where Peter is talking to this group of Christians who have started to lose hope. Because they're Christians, they're about 30 years, uh, when Peter wrote this letter, it was about 30 years after Jesus was killed and resurrected. So they're brand new in the faith. The culture isn't used to having Christians around. And there's this very anti-Christian sentiment in the culture where throughout the rest of the book of 1 Peter, Peter talks about how they have bosses that are abusing them or withholding pay from them that uh, he writes specifically to women who were being abused by their husbands because they were Christians and their husbands weren't Christians. He, talk about, he talks about how there's this general sense among their neighbors and their associates that Christianity is just kind of this dumb little Jewish sect that believes that some guy came back from the dead. So if you, if you believe that's true, isn't that kind of dumb? And what Peter's taught, what Peter refers to throughout the rest of the book of 1 Peter is it's producing these, these feelings in the people that he's writing to. It produces, feel, produces feelings of shame, that they're becoming ashamed of their faith as they see how other people view it. They're angry and they want to retaliate against these people who would write them off or would abuse them because they're Christians. They're feeling fear as they look to the future and what they think is going to come for them, which turned out to be a good thing to feel because a couple years after this book was written, some horrible statewide persecution starts happening. They're feeling temptation where they just want to conform. They just want to go along, to get along, to not stick out so much. In the midst of difficult circumstances, hope starts to leak in us and these different feelings rise up. And I think even though our circumstances aren't the same as the people that Peter's writing to, maybe we haven't had a boss withhold pay from us because we're Christians, I bet there's been a time that you've been in a conversation with somebody and they've maybe written off your opinion because you believe in some invisible God and isn't that a little bit old-fashioned? So you probably don't really know what you're talking about. Or maybe... Maybe you haven't been abused by your spouse because you're Christian, but maybe you've seen the direction that the culture is going morally and you felt yourself being squeezed out to the side. And we've all felt these same feelings that when we see how our faith is portrayed, we feel shame. Or when we, when we feel like we're being written off, we feel anger come out of us. We feel temptation to conform, to just want to go along, to get along, so that we're not stepping on anybody's toes, so that a little bit less of that, of the... Um, of that stuff is coming at us. In the midst of difficult circumstances, our hope starts to leak. So what Peter's going to talk about in these verses is he's going to try to address the question, how do we restore hope? How do we restore hope in the midst of circumstances that are causing these emotions to happen in the people that he's writing to? How do we restore hope? How how does he restore hope for them? And how do we restore hope for ourselves? And what he's going to get to is he's going to get to the point where he reminds us hope is normal when we remember that God is working. If you leave here with one thing today, what I want you to remember is that hope is normal when we remember that God is working. What's interesting about the verses that Femi read 
is there is only one place, there's, there's 10 verses that he read, and there's one half of a verse where he refers to our circumstances. And then he really quickly goes back to just reminding us of all the different things that God is doing in our lives. So the problem is not our circumstances. It shouldn't be that when our circumstances are going well, we're filled with hope, and when our circumstances are going poorly, all of our hope starts to go away. He also only addresses our emotions, in our negative emotions in one half of one verse where he says, yeah, I know you've been grieved by these things, but look at all the things that God is doing. So we know the problem is not our emotions. What Peter is saying in these verses is the problem we've forgotten God's works. The problem is we've forgotten God's works, and that's all he's doing in these verses is he's reminding us of the things that God has done in our lives that once we remember them, hope becomes normal. And this is very convenient when preparing for a sermon is that Peter gives us a really clear structure that he walks through. He walks through these three times in order. He goes, okay, look at this thing that God has done in your past. Look at this thing that God is working for your future. And look at the way that God is working in you right now. And we see those three things in 1 Peter and he's gonna remind us of those things and expect that hope can come out of us when we remember those things, because hope is normal when we remember that God is working. So the first one he's going to talk about is he's going to talk about how hope is normal when you remember God's work in the past. So let's read the scripture together in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the first thing that Peter's going to remind us of, he's going to remind us of this thing called the new birth. And what he's talking about when he's talking about the new birth is he's talking about that moment when somebody goes from not being a Christian to being a Christian. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about what it means to be saved. And what he's saying is that when we remember that thing, eventually he's going to get to the point where in verse 13, he's going to say, okay, with all this stuff in mind, be hopeful. And this is the first thing that he's going to say, okay, with this thing in mind, be hopeful. And I think the reason that he needs to remind us of the new birth is because as Christians living the spiritual life, we can get so caught up in the spiritual life that we forget what God did in the spiritual birth. So here's what I mean by that. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, there are probably all sorts of really awesome things that you've started to do in your spiritual life. Maybe you've started to read your Bible. Maybe in your spiritual life you've started to pray. Maybe in your spiritual life you've started to have accountability with other people or root sin out of your life. Or maybe to take steps in your faith, you've been sharing the gospel with your neighbors or you've changed the way that you've used your money or you've changed the way that you treat integrity at work. All these different things that happen in our spiritual lives that are good things. I mean, we just had a series in the fall called Substance where we said we would need to escape diversion and embrace discipline and walk in step with the Spirit and make people our business, all these different things that we would have to do. But I think what can happen is we can get so focused on what we're doing when we ask questions like, okay, have I been praying enough? Have I been reading my Bible enough? Am I reaching out to that person enough? Am I going to church enough? That we can get so focused on the things that we're doing on our activity that we forget what God has done. We focus so much on what we do instead of what God has done. I mean, think of why, think of this analogy of the birth that Peter is using, and why do we use this analogy of the birth all over the New Testament? I mean, think about a birth, right? Now, I have, I have never seen a live birth, but I did go to a public middle school, 
And in that public middle school, I did have eighth grade. And in eighth grade, fourth period, I did have a health class. And in that health class, we did have one week set aside where we were talking about the process of a baby growing. And during that week, we did watch a video of a birth. And if that video left me with any impression besides the impression of generally being scarred, it was that that baby is not doing a whole lot of work. You know what I'm saying? My mom's over here, and I know if she was one that would talk in church, she'd be going, amen, you did not do any work. I did the work. A birth is the most obvious place where the mom is the one who is doing all the work. And that doesn't mean that she's never doing work in that kid's life again, right? Again, my mom would be going, amen. <laughs> It's not like she's never doing work again in that kid's life, but it is the place that she is most obviously the one who is doing all the work. It's not like that kid is reaching out, grabbing hold of the doctor's hand, pulling himself out of there. Maybe now I've left you guys with the impression of being scarred, but it's the most obvious time that she is the one doing all of the work. And the same is true for God, that when we look at the new birth, it is the most obvious way to see that God is the one who is doing all the work. It is the most obvious way to see that he has done a work in our past and that when we remember that thing, hope can be normal. When we remember that everything in the spiritual life was made possible because of the spiritual birth. I mean, think of that kid that was born. He can't go to high school if he wasn't born in the first place. You know what I'm saying? I can't walk in step with the Spirit if I've never been spiritually born in the first place. I can't go to Bible study and expect to grow in my faith if I've never been spiritually born in the first place. It reminds us that everything that has come since has been an act of grace, that all the striving that we've done has been at its base an act of grace that God has done for us, and that by itself would be enough if we remembered it, that we would feel hopeful, that we would see that God has done this thing in our past, and that he's on our side, and that he's working with us, and he's working in our lives. But if we look at the verse, that's not even all that he says. Let's read the verse again, and verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That the way he secured the new birth, the way he gave you this thing that you needed, that you needed to go from not existing to existing, that your faith needed to be born, the way that he gave you that thing was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, which at least implies that he gave it to you through the crucifixion, which means that the new birth came at an incredible cost to God. In the same way that the mother who's giving birth to a baby both is the one that's doing all the work and is doing it at incredible pain to herself, when God gives you the new birth, he is the one who has done all the work and he's done it at incredible cost to himself, which shows that he's invested in you. And if you see the work of the new birth, if you see this thing that God has done in the past that shows that he's invested in you, that shows that he loves you, when you see these things, it should fill us with hope. God, hope is normal when we remember God's work in the past. Hope is normal specifically when we remember God's work in the new birth, that he is the one who did all the work and that he did the work in a way that cost him an incredible amount. So I remember what it was like to be in close proximity to the new birth. Like I said, I became a believer in Jesus when I was a sophomore in college. And I remember going from the beginning of one week to the end of one week and having everything change. I remember in the beginning of the week, 
I was going to Christian stuff, but when I would try to think about having a relationship with God, that just seemed dumb or not possible. And when I would try to read the Bible, it was just like, it's just this old book that like doesn't make any sense. And then I remember I experienced a new birth. And at the end of the week, I remember, you know, walking around campus, backpack on, and I would be looking up at the sky, bumping into people. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, God knows me and I know God, and that is crazy. Or I remember being in my economics class in Burge Hall, which is this, uh, this old building that's on Bascom Hill, and in the basement of Burge Hall, there were all these desks that were stacked up like little walls, and in the corner of the basement, there was this little desk that was next to a little chalkboard, and I would go and I would skip out of my economics class so that I could go into the basement so that I could read my Bible because it didn't just feel like I was trying to read some silly old book anymore. It felt like the Bible was reading me. You know what I'm saying? I experienced the new birth, and because of that, I was feeling this feeling of hope, and it wasn't just some frilly little happy feeling of, oh, yay for Jesus. I had seen a miracle. I'd gone from not existing to existing. My faith had been born at the beginning of the week following God seemed impossible, and at the end of the week, I was following God. That's crazy. And I do not care what your story is. If you are a Christian, you have experienced that. I don't care if you became a believer when you were four years old. You've still gone through the new birth. God still secured something for you at incredible cost to himself. When we see the past, when we look at what God has done, when we see his work in the new birth, we can be filled with hope because we see that God is invested in us, that God loves us, that God is for us. Hope is normal when we remember God's work in the past, because hope is normal when we remember that God is working. So first, when we remember his work for the past, and second, when we remember his work for the future. Hope is normal when we remember God's work for the future. So let's read in the passage together. In verses four and five, it says, And, so he's talking about the new birth that we were born, not only into this living hope, but also into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So the first thing that Peter points us to is he points us to this time in the past where as Christians, we've all experienced the new birth and that when we see that thing and we see how he's invested in us and we see that show he shows he loves us, hope can be normal for us. And the second thing that he points to is this thing that he calls the inheritance. So when he's talking about the inheritance here, he's talking about what heaven's going to be like. And what's interesting is all of us want to know, you know, when we think of what heaven is going to be like, we want to know kind of like, you know, what's going to be up there? Is there going to be sparkly gold streets? Like, what's going to be up there? But what's interesting is Peter knows the thing that we need to know about that inheritance is not what it's going to be like to experience, but what characterizes its permanence. That we don't need to know really what it's going to be like to experience, but what characterizes its permanence. 
I mean, just look at the words he uses. He said it's going to be an inheritance that's not going to perish. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to fade. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be gone before you get there. It's not going to be ruined before you get there. It's not going to lose its luster before you get there. And it's kept in heaven specifically for you. And it's kept there by God. And the reason that Peter is telling us this is because he knows in the midst of worldly insecurity, we need to know that our future is secure. In the midst of worldly insecurity, we need to know our future is secure because when we know our future is secure, it gets rid of some of those feelings that we talked about in the beginning. If I know my future is secure and I feel secure, then I won't have the temptation to conform, to try and get rid of some of the insecurity that's pointed directly at me. What's true about security is we all need it. It's one of those indefatigable human needs. It's one of those things that we, we always feel like we need more of. We always need more security. I mean, think of, think of the different kinds of security that we seek out. We seek out relational security. I mean, next time that you see a dating couple walking around, just pay attention to some of the things that they say to one another because they'll say things that just don't make a whole lot of sense, that they're actually just trying to get attention from the other one, like walking by a tree and like, oh, honey, look at that tree. Isn't that a nice tree? And then the girlfriend will go, oh, yes, honey, that is a nice tree. And he's not interested in knowing what she thinks about the tree. He's just making sure that she's still engaged with him. He's still safe in the dynamic of that relationship. It's just a it's just a security thing. Or think of family security, how that's something that we seek out. Or we seek that out in, I mean, if you look at little kids when they're playing on playgrounds and they're playing on the jungle jam playing on the jungle gym and playing, you know, sand is lava. You guys remember that game? And uh They'll always, like every 30 seconds or every minute, they'll be looking back at their mom to make sure that she's still paying attention to them, to make sure that they're still secure out in the big wide world of the jungle gym. Or think of financial security. In the upcoming Financial Peace University class, one of the things that Dave Ramsey is going to say is he's going to say, you need to have three to six months of savings set aside because if you don't, somebody in the marriage relationship will be feeling financial insecurity. And because of that, they'll actually be acting out in the marriage um, without realizing that the reason it's happening is because of their financial insecurity. We all need security and we all seek out security. And the reason we need security is because the world is chaotic. I mean, if you're a being that moves, you know there's tons of stuff to bump into, like this thing, or that thing, or all this stuff. There's things to bump into, and especially if you live in a world where you're a thing that moves and you live around a bunch of other things that move, you know that the world is a chaotic place. And what Peter knows is that in the midst of those things, in the midst of this is just a need that we have, and when we look around us, it's, we know it's something that we don't naturally have, We'll all try to find security in something. And what Peter knows is if we try to find security in our circumstances, there's always going to be a reason to not feel secure. That if we try to find our security in our circumstances, there will always be a reason to not feel secure. And in the midst of always having a reason to not feel secure, we're going to have those feelings of wanting to conform, to go along, to get along, or other feelings will be rising up in us that will cause our hope to be taken away. So let's look at how Peter describes the inheritance. 
I mean, when we look at this again, the words that he uses to describe the kind of inheritance that's going to be given to us, it says, it's, Peter says that it's never going to perish, never going to spoil, never going to fade. It's kept in heaven for you. You see what he's doing is he comes at all of our skepticism, all of the angles that we could think to say, oh, maybe I can't really have security in this inheritance thing that you're talking about because, well, what if it fades before I get there? What if, sure, it's great that it's set there now, but what if it spoils in the meantime? Or what if somebody steals it? And what Peter's trying to remind us is if it is secure and it's going to be yours, then you can feel secure. And what he's trying to create in us is he's trying to create a Simba moment. He's trying to create a Simba moment. And this is what I mean. Who in here has seen The Lion King? Yeah, yeah. Great movie. Another throwing my parents under the bus again. Uh, another, t- another parenting trick that they would use is if I was ever, when I was a little kid, if I was ever off doing something in the house and they didn't know where I was, they would just start playing. The, they would, you know, grab the little cassette tape and put it into the VCR and hit play. And the moment I heard, I would come running from wherever I was in the house and they would have a perfectly controllable child for about an hour and a half. But it creates the Simba moment in us. So in the beginning of the movie, there's these two characters, right? There's Simba, little lion, got a laser. Pew, pew. Simba, who's the little, little baby cub lion, and then there's Mufasa. Mufasa. And uh, this is the little son, and this is the father. And in the beginning of the movie, so Simba is this little rambunctious lion cub, and then Mufasa is, he's the king of the jungle. He's like, he's the king of the animal kingdom. He's this awesome guy who is just this image of goodness and power. And you get this sense throughout the movie that what he says goes because he's not lying. Get it? <laughs> lion. But anyways, he's not lying because he's, he's a good guy, but he also has the necessary strength to bring about the things that he's going to say. And so there's this scene in the beginning of the movie where uh, Simba is up too early and he's just being this rambunctious little lion cub and he runs over to Mufasa and starts chewing on his ear and Mufasa wakes up and doesn't give him the smack that he deserves because Mufasa is a good guy. Um, But he wakes up Mufasa and Mufasa and Simba, they start walking out onto Pride Rock and Pride Rock is this rock that's above the savanna and you can just see for miles and miles and miles all the land that the lion are in charge of, that Mufasa is in charge of. And as they're walking up to the top of Pride Rock, the sun's coming up. And you can just see all these incredible things. You see just herds of animals and and these forests and these beautiful shimmering lakes and just rolling plains. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And it's amazing. And it's as this is happening that they're seeing all these beautiful things that Mufasa says in his James Earl Jones voice, Simba. Can't get quite as low as he can, but Simba, one day all of this will be yours. And Simba has this moment where as he's seeing this thing that Mufasa says is going to be his, that it's going to be his inheritance, he has this moment where he's looking at all of it and he hears the king say, he hears on the authority of the character of the king that this thing that he sees is going to be his, and he just has this moment where he goes, whoa, Whoa. 
and it creates this thing in Simba. And it, that's exactly what Peter is trying to create in us. Don't you see? It's like, it's like we're walking up to the top of Pride Rock and the sun's coming up and we're looking at our inheritance and we see that over there, it's not going to perish. We see that over there, it's not going to spoil. We see that over there, it's not going to fade. It's not going to be gone before I get there. And it's not going to be ruined before I get there. It's not going to be tarnished before I get there. And it's kept specifically for you. What he's creating is this moment in us when we look at our future, we can have this sense of security as we see he has this thing prepared for us that's not going anywhere and it's going to be ours. And he says, I don't care what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter. You have an inheritance. So what? Your circumstances might be bad right now, but you have an inheritance coming for you. And he addresses this short circuit in our minds, this short circuit that, could, that ruins any chance that we could ever have in thinking that because our circumstances are good, we're safe. I mean, think about it. Imagine you have perfect relational security. So you've got, you're, you're married and you have a great husband or wife. They have a ton of character. They love you deeply. You've got perfect familial security. So you've got kids that are just, they're great kids. They, they listen well. They got good grades in school. And you love your parents. And they, they come over and stop by, but not in the annoying kind of way. And you've got perfect financial security. You know, you went to the Financial Peace University class. And now you guys are coasting and you're doing well in a financial way. So you can have every single kind of worldly security there is, and yet there's this short circuit in our minds that prevents us from ever really being able to have security in that. And the short circuit is that you are going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You get to die. You get to die. You get to die. We're all going to die, and that ruins any chance that we could have that in our circumstances we would be secure. And it's in the midst of that thing that God speaks and says, in that thing, in the one thing that could make you think that you can't be secure, you have an inheritance that even in death you are secure. That when we look to the future, we should see these ways to have hope because we know we're secure and that can let hope come out of us that no matter what happens, we are safe. In an eternal sense, no matter what happens, we are safe. Hope is normal when we remember God's work for the future. When we remember that he has secured an inheritance for us, that he has gotten rid of that thing in our hearts that would be the one thing that could take away the chance that we would feel hopeful in the midst of our circumstances. So hope is normal when we remember that God is working. Hope is normal when we remember that God is working. Specifically, when you remember his work in your past, that it doesn't matter if you became a Christian when you were four or you were 40, you have gone through the new birth, you've experienced this miracle at a great cost to God. When you remember his work in your future, that he's got an inheritance prepared for you, that when you die, you're going to come and it's going to, it's going to still be there. It's not going to perish before you get there. It's not going to spoil before you get there. It's not going to fade. It's kept specifically for you. And now we're going to get into how Peter's going to say, you can also have hope because of his work in your present. And before we get there, Peter's anticipating something from us. He's anticipating a protest that's going to rise in our hearts where we're going to say, okay, yes, I get it. I am very excited that something happened in my past and that shows God's invested in me, and that's great. And I am very happy that something happened in my future and that shows in some sort of ultimate sense that I'm safe and secure and whatever. And I greatly rejoice in those things. I think those things are great. But what about right now? What about right now where life hurts? 
and tragic things happen and I experience all, kind of, all kinds of pain and people around me treat me weird because I'm trying to live the Christian life and I'm trying to really live it. In verse 6, he anticipates this protest from us. He says, in all this you greatly rejoice in the things that happened in the past, in the things that are prepared for the future, in all that you greatly rejoice. Though, for, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So he's saying, I know that you had these things, ha- I, I know you agree that these are good things that happened in the past, that happened in the future, but I know right now you're suffering grief in all kinds of trials. And what Peter is going to turn to is he's going to say, I know you're suffering grief in trials right now, but even the things that you're suffering grief in are going to be able to produce hope in you. That hope will be normal when we remember how God is working in those things in you right now. Let's read in verse 7 how he answers this protest in us. In verse 7 he says, These have come, so when he's saying these, he's talking about the trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what he's saying, he's saying this thing that is kind of, kind of hard to grapple with initially because it's not something we think about that often in our lives as Christians. What he's saying is that the trials have come and they've come for a reason and the reason they've come is to produce something in you that's going to be valuable. He says these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. What he's saying is that these trials have come so that what What is being built in you when Jesus comes and he rips open to the sky and we're praising and honoring him as well? Something that's also going to happen is we're going to see what God built in you. We're going to see what God built in you through your trials and we're going to see how valuable that thing is. And when we see how valuable that faith is that was built in you, we are going to erupt in praise and glory and honor as we see the work that God has done in you. And what he's saying, it's like, the analogy that he uses in this verse is it's like, it's, it's like gold that's, that's refined by fire, but still it perishes. But you're going through the same process as that gold. If I were to take that gold, if I were to take that rock and give it to my girlfriend, she does like rocks, so she might like it because of that, but she probably wouldn't be that excited about it, you know what I'm saying? But if that rock goes through all of the processes that it needs to go through to become gold jewelry, if I hand that to her, she's going to be like, yeah, this is great. It's the thing that makes it valuable is the fact that it's going through these trials. It's going through being broken down and melted and hammered into something. So what Peter is saying is what you think is robbing you of hope should actually be producing hope. What you think is robbing you of hope, you think these circumstances that are coming against you that are hard and that hurt, these things that you think are robbing you of hope should actually be producing hope. Because we believe that our trials are meaningless. We believe that our trials are robbing us of hope. That when we're in the midst of these things that are painful, we get short-sighted and we forget about what God could possibly be doing and our, our natural atheism finds a way to express itself and says, oh, but if this hurts so much, how could God possibly at work in the midst, be at work in the midst of this? But what Peter's saying is that this is the thing that's actually producing something valuable in us and this is something that we already believe in every other sphere of life. 
We already believe that for gold jewelry to be as valuable as it is, the gold ore needs to go through the smashing and the melting and the hammering to become the gold jewelry. We believe that for a wimpy guy to turn into a bodybuilder, he needs to go into the gym, rip all of his muscles till he can't move anymore, and then he needs to go the next day. We believe that for, for a student to get good at writing, she needs to write and rewrite and rewrite and go through that painful process over and over and over and over and over until she actually has something worth reading. We believe that for a guy to get good at playing violin, he needs to play until his fingers bleed and then he needs to play on the scabs tomorrow. We believe this in every single other area of our lives and this is true about the trials in our faith as well. That as we go through trials, something is being built in us that is incredible. Hope is normal when we remember God's work at the present, when we see how he's working in our trials right now. When we see that all these things that feel like they hurt and are coming against us and are causing problems for us are actually producing something in us that is incredibly valuable. Hope is normal when we remember that God is working, when we remember his work in your past, when you remember his work in your future, and when you remember his work right now in your present, in your trials. So Peter leaves us at this point. And this is only, this is only verses three through seven. And then eight through 12, I see, I mean, between all those verses, I see at least 15 reasons that Peter gives that are things that we can remember about God, that are things that once we remember them, they should produce hope in us. And the what now that Peter brings us to is after verse 12, he says, therefore, Because I've reminded you of all these ways that God is working in your life, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, so with minds that get what's going on, that you see what's true about how God is working, but you don't ignore the things that are also true about your circumstances, with minds that are alert, that are fully sober, that get what's going on, therefore, with those kind of minds, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So with these things in mind, after you've been reminded of all the different things that God has done for you in your past, in your future, in your present, and everything in between, remember those things and then set your hope on what's coming. Now, if you've ever experienced a sense of hopefulness. You know that at least to some degree, hope is an end in itself. That it feels good to feel hopeful. It feels good to have an assurance for the future. It feels good to have something that's producing joy in you. And we believe that God is in the business of giving good gifts. So maybe to some degree, hope is an end in itself. But what we also know is true, what Peter clues us in on by the way the rest of this book goes is that he believes hopeful people can become holy people that hopeful people can become holy people because he's not letting up on us on the rest of this book. He's not like, okay, you're going through trials, so here's a reason to be hopeful and then just try to survive in the midst of these trials and once we get through them, then then we can get back to the holiness stuff. No, he's saying in the midst of incredible trials, he says things like, love your neighbor deeply from the heart. Do such good deeds in front of people that when they, even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see the good things that you're doing. And when Jesus comes, they'll be like, man, he was doing good stuff. I don't know. He says things like to not repay evil with evil, but to repay evil with blessing. He says all these things that are incredibly hard things for us to do. And he knows that those can only land in our hearts. Those can only land in our hearts when we're hopeful people. 
So he spends the first half of this first chapter showing us reasons that we can have hope because he knows that the kind of power and perseverance that hope builds in us is what we need in order to become holy people. In order to live into all the things of substance that we talked about in the fall, in order to be able to live into those kind of things, we need to be a people who are hopeful, who can look in the past and see ways God has worked and see how that should produce hope in us when it means that he's invested in us and that he loves us, that we can look into the future and we can see the ways that he's secured it for us and we can look at our lives right now and see how they have meaning because of what he's done. And hopeful people can become holy people. So what do we do now? (laughs) Be hopeful. Remember all the things that God has done. Remember that in your past, he did this incredible work in your life. That it doesn't matter how it happened, but he gave you a new birth. That you went from a faith that didn't exist to, to a faith that existed. That he did this thing in your life that hurt for him. That he did this thing in, this, in your life that showed he was at work in you. That showed he's on your side. That shows he's invested in you. Remember what he's done in the past and be hopeful. Remember what he's doing in the future and be hopeful. Remember that in the midst of all your circumstances, how you can never really feel hopeful in the midst of them because there's always that lingering doubt that, okay, as secure as I feel in a worldly sense right now, I know I'm going to die. Know that he's spoken into that and said, even in death, you can feel secure. Be hopeful that even right now in the midst of your trials, and I don't care if it's skepticism or sickness, I don't care if it's relationship difficulty or depression, I don't care if it's cancer or criticism, how he's working in you right now is producing something in you that's incredibly valuable that when the sky is torn open and we see what he's made in you, we are going to go, oh my goodness. Look at that thing that was built in you. Remember the ways that he's working in you. Hope is normal when we remember that God is working. There are all sorts of disciplines in the Christian life which are meant for remembrance. Things like our quiet times, things like prayer, things like small groups, things like coming to church. These are all different ways that we can remember the things that God is doing in us. So this week, remember In your quiet time, remember how he's working in you right now, how he's building something in you. Remember when you pray that whatever you're going through in the future, he's got an inheritance for you, and that means you can be secure. Remember as you're talking through with your friends some relationship difficulty they're going through, remember together how he's working in both of you right now, and he's using this to build something in you. Remember in your small group all the things that he's done in the past, that he's given all of you a new birth, and use that as a way, as an encouragement for when you reach out with your neighbors. If God did a miracle in me, then he can do a miracle in them too. Be hopeful, because hope is normal when you remember that God is working. In Psalm 77, there's this beautiful example of what can happen in our lives when we remember the things that God is doing. In the first nine verses of the psalm, Asaph, who's the guy who wrote the psalm, is just, he's just aching. He's feeling doubt. He sees the world around him, how they're coming at him. He's feeling all these terrible negative feelings. And then by verse 13, he's back to praising God and remembering what he's done. And this is what happens in between. In verse 10, Psalm 77, verse 10, it says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, 
I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. I will remember the things that you have done because hope is normal when we remember that God is working. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us so many reasons to be hopeful that no matter where we look, before us, behind us, on us, we're hemmed in by reasons to feel hopeful. Father, thank you that you've done this work in our lives. Thank you for all of us that are Christians, that we've experienced this miracle of the new birth, that you did it at incredible cost to yourself. Father, thank you that you've secured our future. Thank you that you're working in us right now to produce something in us that is incredibly valuable, that when we see it, we're gonna, we're gonna praise you with everybody else at how amazing of a thing you built in us. Help us to remember those things, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.